Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the Integrated Advisors Network Journey to Independence podcast series. It's a conversation for advisors considering independence with advisors who have already made the leap. I'm your host, Linda Picks, co-founder and chief relationship officer for Integrated Advisors Network. Integrated is a registered investment advisor representing a nationwide network of more than 30 advisory practices with over 2.7 billion in asset center management. The integrated platform empowers network advisors with the freedom to focus on their clients and 100% ownership of their business. At Integrated, our tagline is ownership without being on your own. This podcast is available on our website, integratedadvisorsnetwork.com, our social media outlets, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you know other advisors like yourself who may benefit from this series, please feel free to share it. Joining me today on this podcast is my partner and the president of Integrated, Jason Inglis. There's a lot to discuss, so let's get started. We thought it would be most appropriate to bring in our first advisor, Clark Richard with Vineyard Global Advisors. And what an interview it was. Jason? It was a great interview. He's the... We jokingly refer to Clark as the godfather of independence. He's touched many different facets of the financial services industry, and he's just a great guy and was really open to sharing his journey. And I think people will get a lot from it. I hope so. Like I said, I couldn't have thought of a better person to start this with. He lays the groundwork out really well. He has definitely had a successful career and we're lucky to have him as part of the integrated family. So we hope that you all enjoy hearing the uh, the godfather as we the call godfather. him. He's the godfather. <laughs> we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did. So thanks for listening and here we go. Every advisor dreams of owning their own practice and controlling their destiny. And at Integrated, we make that dream a reality. So our goal is to provide our listeners with real stories from real advisors who are nice enough to share their real-life journey to independence. And we have with us today one of those real advisors. Clark Richard is joining us. Clark, how are you doing? Doing terrific. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining the show. I, uh, we're very excited. Linda and I were talking about it earlier, about you being on the podcast. We've thrown around a couple of different monikers for you. I said you were the Kevin Bacon of financial services because you're six degrees from everyone, I think. Uh, I met you, you know, in the 90s, and I know you know everybody. And then we, we've been throwing away the throwing around the godfather of independence, which is, uh, I think, what we're going to go with. But we're really excited <laughs> to, <laughs> to hear your story. And just so the listening audience is, is up to speed, uh, Clark is the chief executive officer of Vineyard Global Advisors, and he's also the co-founder. You really have a proven track record of growing successful businesses. And you started in the business more of a traditional route with the old Shearson Lehman Brothers. Then you founded Charter Bank, which was sold to Boston Private in 2007 at a valuation in excess of four times book value, which I'm not a mathematician, but that's a pretty good multiple there. They also founded a, a multifamily office focusing on clients with a minimum net worth of $10 million. That was later acquired by a, by a private equity firm. And prior to, to Vineyard Global Advisors to forming that, you were the managing director of private client services at First Allied Asset Management. When you and your partners launched this company, you had said that it was really based on a staunch belief that there was a need for a new type of wealth management firm. 
one that truly subscribes to a philosophy of being singularly focused on a client's need at all stages of life, coupled with the mission to provide a more sustainable pathway towards the goal of living off one's accumulated asset. You believe that risk should be redefined as success probability, and I really like that. It's a mouthful, but it's not nearly enough to describe a career that you've had and the success that you've had. So again, thank you for joining us on the podcast. We like to start at the beginning, and so I'll ask the, the first question. How'd you get started in the industry? Well, thanks for the introduction. Uh, boy, I, I feel 100 years old now when, when we talk about all that. So, uh, uh, But I, I was working for a brewing company, and it happened to be owned by an Australian conglomerate. And this was back in the day. We were highly leveraged, and we were doing a prepackaged Chapter 11. And one day I hit slash worksheet line delete on my own name. And I walked into my boss and I said, it's time to get rid of me. And he said, make me a deal. He said, when, when you quit, you have to be looking at the back of my head when we're walking out of here. And so I stayed on a little bit longer. And, and then eventually one day he walked in and said, okay, we're done. And so we actually did leave together. Uh, but nice. I had plenty of advanced notice of, of what was going to occur. And so fortunately, at that time, I was up in the Seattle market and had gotten to know some people up there. And a couple of them highly recommended that I think about a career in one of the wirehouses. And so they were kind enough to arrange an interview uh, with the branch manager of Shearson Lehman Brothers at that time, who's a terrific person and still think the world of him. And I went over and interviewed with him and the interview got done. And, and he said to me, he said, well, when would you like to start? Uh, That's you know, a great interview. In, yeah, it was a great interview. But back in those days, you went through training for a period of time, and then you came back. And if memory serves me correctly, I think they paid you $1,000 a month. That was it. That was <laughs> your, your base compensation. You got licensed. And you know, again, I think the statistic was like 70% of new brokers failed within the first uh, year or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very uh, fortunate to have a a couple sponsors that helped me bring in some business and uh, get me on my feet and go from there. So that's that's really how I happened to end up in the business. And and, uh, I was fortunate that at Shearson Lehman Brothers, they had a group called the Consulting Group. And I just philosophically gravitated towards the Consulting Group right away. That was back in the day of when RAP accounts were kind of a new thing and uh, fees were 3% it just made more sense to me to hire professional managers to manage components of a portfolio versus, Hey, we own a hundred thousand shares of IBM and here are the three talking points. Let's go out and sell them. It just was a great fit. Was it the specializing in separate accounts and using the consulting group as your background? Was that the thing that really launched your, your career got off the ground? It did because back in those days, you know, hiring uh, third party separate account managers was relatively a novel idea. You know, it had been around a little bit and that whole industry was developed back in the days of, uh, you know, uh, Hutton and that mm-hmm. became Shearson Lehman Brothers. Two things happened that were very serendipitous for me is one is that that whole consulting group kind of spun out and formed a company called Lockwood uh, that was <laughs> run by Len Reinhardt. And that's where we met. At the same time, I had gotten this idea to start a community kind of private bank in Bellevue, Washington. And the only problem was, or there's a couple of problems, that A, I didn't know anything about banking, and B, 
Shearson at that time wasn't too keen on one of their brokers, you know, having a an interest in a in a local bank. So the timing just worked out. I was able to transfer and go with Lockwood. They had some very interesting and, and great technology that I still believe in. And and then we launched the bank and I was a co-founder of that. We raised some capital. And then, you know, a number of years later, I sold that to Boston Private. But the great news was is that the banking experience really I think demonstrates one of my core philosophies is you don't meddle in areas that you don't know anything about. So I didn't know anything about banking. So I had met a gentleman and I guess I'll leave his name out of it because I don't have his permission to uh, to use it in this podcast here, but uh, um, he was a, a career banking executive and he's still a friend and client today. We met at a local golf club and I told him my idea and for whatever reason he bit. And I said, okay, you know, your job is to hire the staff, hire the president, do all this stuff. And, and I remember him saying to me, so do you want to be, you know, the chairman of the, of the board? And I said, no. He's like, so what role do you want? I said, actually none. I said, you guys are the bankers. You guys know it, you guys do it. And so we'd meet occasionally at a local Starbucks and, and he'd give me updates and, and he really surrounded himself with a great team. They built a fantastic bank and we were able to exit that on June 30th of 2007 for a little bit over four times book value of all cash to Boston private. So it was a, a very lucky transaction with a lot of hindsight there. And then you have this great liquidity event, but you're kind of back to your square one. You know, you're probably in a better tax bracket, but you're, you're starting from scratch now. Well, I still had the, the practice that we're, we were building. And back at that point in time, there was a big thought that, that the CPA community was going to take over the financial advisory practices. And, and so we were very fortunate once again to get introduced to a CPA firm. And basically we created a joint venture with them. They put up the clients and we put up the, the know-how and we built this practice with them. Okay. And, and I wanted to see how it, how that relationship would work. And they were wonderful people still are. We had a, a contract with them and the thing became very successful and they ended up buying us out, not only the rest of our contract, but the value of the business. So again, had another, you know, small liquidity event and, but kind of through this whole thing, I kept my core book of, of clients and kept building on that and then would go out and research these kind of different ideas and genres that were going on in the industry and building them up and, and getting lucky occasionally and selling those. So it did that a few times. Yeah. It's funny how, uh, how luck follows the prepared. So Clark, what an amazing success story you had from the very beginning, it seems, and you aligned yourself with the right people. What were some of the biggest concerns that you had about being able to run a business as well as being able to run an advisory practice? Well, it was interesting. When we started with Lockwood, they gave us a big binder. And I, as I recall, it was four or five inches thick of printed paper. And, and it was this, you need to go out and get a copy machine. Quite frankly, I was extremely naive, okay, in terms of managing a business. But I saw the approach and the process that that Lockwood had in terms of their liability system. And it just, to this day, makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. So adopting that, I really didn't worry about other aspects. And I was very fortunate. My uh, assistant that was at Shearson at the time, who had been with me since day one, is still with me today. So that's a relationship that now that goes on 30 years. You two know her. She's absolutely fantastic. And quite frankly, a lot of this would not have occurred if she wasn't there to process the day-to-day business. You know, so I feel, feel very fortunate for that relationship. And put up with you. 
Exactly. <laughs> I've learned, I learned early on, just don't touch anything on her desk. You know, she, yeah. she knows what to do and I know what to do and, and we respect uh, each other's capabilities. So it's worked out terrific. And we do know her very well. And we thank you so much for that introduction. <laughs> She's definitely helped us at the integrated, uh, on the integrated side too. Let's go with Vineyard Global, where you are now with the, with the, with the RA practice. How did you decide on staff and which staff members did you decide to bring with you or hire later? So I think the first thing is you have to have an economic model that you operate from. At Vineyard Global, we allocate 40% to direct costs, 30% to GNA, and then that leaves 30% at the bottom line to either distribute to owners or to pay bonuses or, or reinvest back in the company. So having that economic model it tells you a, not only when you have to hire more people, if you're delivering too much to the bottom line, you're probably stressing your economic model somewhere along the line, okay? But within each practice, there are certain functions that have to be initially covered, okay? And, you know, if you're in a wealth advisory practice, you know, you have sales, uh, you have client service, you have operations, you know, you might have planning and portfolio design. Those are four big functions. And, and so within our um, asset management company, we know the functions that we have to have. And we also know the types of behaviors of those people that we want to fill those roles. So we spend a tremendous amount of time just going through, you know, I'm going to call them profiling, even before we ever talk to the person. Then you say, okay, this person can do the job. They have the, you know, the capabilities, they have the technical skills. Now we have to see if they can play in the sandbox with everybody else. And that's, the other, that's a really key part. How do they fit philosophically? You know, at the end of the day, if you hate the people you work with, it's just no fun. And I think the key in that is advisors have to understand, the first question is, is it a lifestyle business or is it a business you're trying to grow? Okay, and neither one of those are right or wrong, but they have a different economic model. So in the business that you're trying to grow, you know, people get paid a wage for what they do. And our kind of guiding principle is we want to pay in the top quartile. We don't want to lose someone just because we tried to hire them on the cheap. Okay. So we pay in the top quartile. We share with them the research that we have found from the industry on what their job pays. And we're just going to pay in the top quartile. Um, so you get a base compensation, you get incentive compensation for doing your job. And then if you're an owner, you get owner's distribution. And so those are very key in, in building out the economic model for your business. That really leads me to think because you've got, again, as, uh, as Jason put it, you know, the, the godfather of independence here. We, I, I really think that, you know, you've had, you've had some, you know, some, some great business partners that you've worked with, some, some good people that have been able to kind of help keep you in your lane and help you guys figure out what was going to be the best route to take. So what do you think about mentorship? Do you, do you have a mentor? Do you mentor someone? And, and what does that mean to you? Well, first, I have to answer this, this comment on the godfather of independence. <laughs> I, I think you only say that because I have a lot of gray hair and I'm still in the business. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's a, there, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that I'm, were well before me and, and, and a lot of people that started when I did. And, and uh, you know, they've all built some, not all of them, but a lot of them have built some very successful uh, businesses. In terms of the mentorship, I look at mentorship a little bit differently. Most people, when I talk to them about, you know, their mentor or what they're doing, they typically try to find someone that's very successful and they want to emulate them. Okay. Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. 
I also like to talk to very successful people, but the question that I'm very interested in at the end of the day is knowing what they know now, what would they do differently? And I think that tells you a lot more over time than tell me about your successes. Some of the answers that I've gotten back from people um, have been fantastic. There's a gentleman that I happen to have a cup of coffee with, and he built a very successful offshore asset management company that focused on, on uh, uh, South Africa. And I asked him that question and, you know, he gave me some, some great answers. And one of them was, you know, the, the focus on people. Well, he's built a great firm. He said, getting early in and getting the right people is so key because if you get that wrong person, it can really set your firm back a long time. Let me, let me, let me back up a second. And I think this, this might make it clearer. And that is one of the reasons why I was jokingly calling you the godfather was it was not your hair. When I look at your, your career, there was, a, there was a point in your career where you decided, this is where I want to go, but this isn't the part of the business that I want to do. And so you outsourced that part of the business to what is now integrated and really helped found us. And so how did you decide that this is what I want to do and this is not what I want to do and this is who I want to partner with? Great question. So I think one of the important questions that any person that's going to go independent or start any business or think about any career one of the questions they need to ponder on is what don't they want to do? Okay. I think that's really important. And I remember reading in a surfing book about Holby Alter's life and they were all sitting around. And one of the things they didn't want to do was wear a tie. So they immediately got rid of all the industries where they'd have to wear a tie. So I think, you know, knowing what you don't want to do led us to a core philosophy of we wanted a business that focused on revenue generation and revenue retention activities and outsource those components where we have no subject matter expertise. Like a lot of advisors, I'm very sure we went down a path or we had gone down a path of uh, looking at forming our own RAA and going through that whole process and looking at the cost and so on. And again, you know, luck came down on my shoulders and an advisor had hired uh, compliance works as an outsourced uh, compliance company. And so I had reached out to Jeff and introduced myself and said, here's what we're looking at. And he saw my cell phone number at that time, figured I was out of state. And well, it turned out that we were at that, literally at that point in time, about 10 miles apart from each other. So the next morning we met at a Starbucks and, and had a chat. And, you know, he kind of told me about this, I'll call it a shelf registration that you guys had at that point in time. And very quickly, I could see how that could expedite our transition and also fulfill that principle of focusing on revenue retention and revenue generation activities. Because I'd already done the math and knew what it was going to cost for us to have our own RAA and have all the, the infrastructure and platform. I'd done that before to have an internal compliance officer and all the things that go on with that. And so, uh, again, luck came down and, and, uh, you know, it just worked out perfectly. And so I remember calling my partners that day and said, I got this thing figured out. You know, I was very fortunate to have some partners that trusted my gut instinct and judgment. And, uh, you know, here we are today. And I believe after we made the, the move, the company was profitable in our second quarter of business. So that's 
kind of unheard of. Oh, yeah. That's huge because I know that's a big worry for people who are considering going independent is, am I going to jump out into the abyss and no one's going to follow me? And then am I going to you know go from being a high revenue producing person to someone who's struggling to produce revenue? Yeah. And again, I, I'll go back to this, you know, kind of the, the construct of, are you trying to build a lifestyle practice or are you trying to build a business? And it's very important to think about that distinction, you know, before you make the jump. I think it's also very important to think about where are your core strengths? You know, I have a, a very good friend that's at a wirehouse and he can't leave. You know, uh, he has received most of his clients from the investment banking side of the house, for example. And he says, I'm not good at sales. He's great at relationship management. But mm -hmm. so that, that institution feeds him the clients. Uh, I don't think he would be very successful if he left and, and try to take those clients with him. I think the, those clients are very loyal to the institution. So I think one of the aspects that advisors need to ponder is where do their clients' loyalty to lie? And if it's with the advisor, I think you have a great chance. If not, you might want to rethink making the move. I think at the end of the day that advisors have to be acutely aware of what it's going to take to manage a business and what they're good at and where they want to spend their time and where they don't want to spend their time. For us, uh, Integrated was a terrific partnership. Okay? It gave us a what I'm going to call at that time a base platform to do exactly what we needed to have done. But also, as we needed to add other capabilities, you guys have been terrific and added those capabilities for us because you know that cost can then be shared across multiple advisors where you know not every advisor needs that same capability. And so as an independent, you know, so if you have your own RAA and you're all paying for, let's say, a specific software or access to a specific firm then that can get very expensive. And where you, know, you, you join a firm like Integrated, you have you know, literally all the tools at your disposal that you need to compete with anyone on Wall Street. You know, I see some of the big firms now, as an example, uh, engaging with Investnet. We've had Investnet since day one. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so you know, just the, the open architecture of the, of the solution is fantastic you know, to have a great outsourced technology stack you know, to be basically paperless. I mean, it's, it really makes managing a business easier. And especially, I think this COVID test has been great because we haven't missed a beat. Everything was remote. We were already paperless. People can work from home. We've got, you know, in, in my home office, we had a gig blast and, and uh, coming into the house. And so it really wasn't a big change for us to have to start working remotely. But that's because the chassis we sit on, the Ian chassis we sit on, uh, supports that type of of economic structure. Thanks for those kind words. I mean, we're we're obviously here to support the independence of the advisors that that choose to go that route. You know, you guys were definitely a, a catalyst for us to be able to kind of create that platform and continue to add resources to you know to support you. So so we appreciate that. And I think you asked a question on you know what should people consider? What should they advice they should have? Is um, you know one of my close friends who has recently joined Ian and came out of one of the big bulge bracket banks and had a short stop and then showed up here at Ian. You know, one of the key things 
that I think is important is, do you own the client relationship? And do you own the client data? And here's a great example. I, I gave him that question to ask to someone else he was interviewing at the time. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you own the client data. Well, when you dig down deeper, you find, yeah, they're going to give you a disk. And, you know, on the first line are a bunch of ones and then, you know, twos. And you have to figure out where that one and two goes. You know, yes, it's all your client data, but it's not in any format that you can upload it into your next CRM system. With integrated, you own your client, you own your client data. There's no barriers to exit. And, and so that, because that's there, it breeds a tremendous amount of trust that, Everyone's going to keep working to provide a great service and a great platform. And if someone's unhappy, they're free to leave. But knowing you have that capability, I think, goes a long way just to building trust with whomever you're partnering with. And the other big aspect is, you know, you guys don't compete with the advisor. You know, I know platforms out there that at the end of the day do compete with their advisors. And that's not healthy in my opinion. Maybe it is to others, but not to me. Your background and, and, and all that you've done is, is if I could sum it up in one word, to me, it would be focus. You focus on, on the parts that you want to do and then allow other people to focus on the things that can complement you. If I know there's a lot of people in our industry who try to do everything themselves and it's a lot of work and this is a tricky industry. You and your firm working with us have driven our innovation as we try to keep up our services to meet the level of expectation that you have. And so, you know, we appreciate that. We appreciate having you as a client who can help us get better and help us sharpen the sword. I remember reading a book years ago about FedEx. And there is a very simple page that said people service profit. And if you take care of your people, and that's not only your employees, but your clients, if you take care of your internal people, they're going to want to provide a great service, okay? And they're going to do good for your clients. And if you do good for your clients, they're going to allow you to make a profit. And if you make a profit, you then can take better service of your clients and better service of your people. So it's that people service process, and that becomes a positive loop. And I think that's very important in, a, in an advisory practice are what are the positive loops that you're creating? What are those self-reinforcing activities that you're doing that just helps the business grow organically? And that's very important to think to. And I, I got to tell you, that's where I enjoy most spending most of my thought time right now. And we're doing some things with, with a couple of partners that I think are really going to enhance the positive loops that we have uh, already created. So I'm excited about that. I love to read books about people's business history. And that was a book by Howard Schultz from Starbucks. And it was just literally called Pour Your Heart Into It. You know, you talk about uh, focus. I think that's part of it. But you also have to be very passionate about what you do. You have to wake up in the morning and you have to be stoked about the industry that you're in. Uh, as you know, this industry doesn't sleep. And I hate to say this, uh, I'm a business junkie. I love it. You know, I like to wake up very early in the morning. I like to see what's going on in the world. I like to think about the cause and the effect. That has a big impact on how we build our quant models in our, our firm. Just taking the human emotion out of all of this noise that's going on and getting down to data and, you know, data that makes sense because, you know, people are out there, whether it's an advisor looking for independence or it's a client 
you know, looking to try to manage the glide path through their retirement, there's just a tremendous amount of information coming at them. And it's sometimes very hard to distill. And when you can distill that down into a, a very clear, concise message that philosophically makes sense for them, I think that's important. I would close on this as, you know, as people think about independence, I think building on your word focus is we have a very core philosophy on what we do and how we do it. This integration between the wealth management and the asset management, those work hand in hand. If we meet someone that doesn't want that philosophy or doesn't agree with that philosophy, that's fine. Let them go and figure it out. More than likely, something's not going to work out and they're going to come back. While you're growing a business, it's very easy to take your eye off what you're doing and say, well, I need the business. We'll just do that. And then, you know, over time that becomes a problem. I, you know, I hate to say it, but in this industry, a lot of times the biggest lie wins. Someone comes in and says, Hey, you know, I'm going to retire here. I want to spend X and, you know, you have to sit down with them and say, I'm sorry. We just don't think that that is possible. You know, building on what you said about probability, it's just the probability is not on your side. They'll say to you, well, so-and-so told me that, that we can do that. And I'll just literally look at them and say, good luck. You know, if they think that, I hope it works out. And I honestly do. I hope it works out for them. I'm always fine not making a client enough money, but I would lose sleep on a personal standpoint, blowing someone up. Well said, very well said. Yeah. And there's a lot of noise out there these days to go back to what you were saying a little bit earlier. And you know, having people like you to be able to help guide them through these times for, you know, on their financial journey, I think it's, it's really important. And I'm glad that we have been able to build a platform to be able to support people like you to help them achieve their, their, their goals and their dreams. So thank you for sharing that with our listeners, Clark. We appreciate it. So Clark, you know, I know that you think a lot about risk and about the true definition of risk and how risk could possibly be redefined. Would you go into a little more detail about that? Absolutely. So from a, a portfolio construction side, there's a couple different levels of risk. Most people think about volatility as their definition of risk. And at Vineyard Global, we look at risk and we think most of the time, what are the torpedoes in the water that we don't know about? And if they hit, you know, how is it going to impact the portfolio and therefore the client's objectives? Okay. So in our portfolio construction process, we think there are times when a client should play offense and there's a time when they should play defense, but it's not an all or nothing. We look at that risk as, as you know, when are the probabilities on the side of the investor? You know, when do you get that big fat pitch? And it always amazes me you know, to listen to the talking heads on Wall Street and they say, the market has returned 10%. Okay. Well, I had our analysts go back to 1979 and look forward and say, how many years has the market actually returned 10%? And I gave them a bandwidth of plus or minus 2%. So think about it from eight to 12. And if I recall correctly, I think that was three times. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you have these high extremes on both the upper levels and the lower levels. And so, you know, wealth is made and protected at the extremes. Okay. So at VGA, we will shoulder that responsibility for clients to understand when is the time to play offense and when should you be dialing back a little bit and play defense. So we're not a, 
a timing or tactical in and out, but it's just, there's a time to, to be a little bit more cautious. So we will shoulder that responsibility. From the wealth management and planning standpoint, you have to look at their probability of success. And that's exactly it. And you know, we think philosophically that at a minimum, you want to have your clients have a 75% probability of success or higher to meet their objectives. Okay. And if it's a hundred, great, but whatever that number is, let's say someone has a 95% probability of success. We run what we call a volatility budget. And that is how much can that portfolio go down over a period of time to violate that threshold of 75%. You know, and so I always say to think about risk in this construct, people climb a mountain, they climb Mount Everest. And I've talked to people that have climbed Mount Everest. And I asked them, I said, what's the hardest part of the climb? And they all say coming down. And the reason is, is they, they spent their entire time trying to train to climb the mountain. Well, you get to the top and now you're descending the mountain. You're, you're out of oxygen, your muscles are fatigued. And if you slip and fall, it's a very quick ride down. Okay. So I just happened to, to Google it one day and I was curious, curious how many people, what percentage of people perish on the way up versus on the way down. And the last time I looked, it was about 80% of people perish on the way down the mountain. No uh, kidding. Mount, yeah, Mount Everest. And, and there is this area near the top kind of called the death zone. And as I was reading about this, it's where people slip and fall. And if you think about it from a retirement planning standpoint, as you're nearing you know, the end of your career, and I, I think that's somewhere inside of you know, three to five years, you don't want to slip and fall. Because if you slip and fall, you're either going to be working longer or you're going to be spending less or you know, there's a cost to that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, thinking about changing, you know, how from that accumulation phase of life to the, to the disposition phase of life, you know, is very important. And there's a transitional period and you just have to make sure that you don't slip and fall. So we're going to have to change your moniker from the Godfather of Independence to the Wealth Sherpa. I believe it's not. Hey, Clark, you you made me think of something. I don't recall asking you this before, but how did you guys come up with the name Vineyard? Well, we were very fortunate. One of our partners already had that name, and so it was very easy to use, and he agreed to to let us use it. But also, as we were thinking about names and we were thinking about investing and, and time horizons, just like there's times to play offense and defense. Okay. Uh, the point of entry risk in investing can have a significant impact on your short-term performance. And over time that can smooth out a little bit, but think about making wine. Okay. If you happen to have a bad vintage, you know, that point of entry, when you're picking the grapes, it can be a subpar wine. Okay, or there's a fire and your wine, you know, your grapes get covered with smoke, whatever it may be. So a lot of what we of how we think about designing portfolios is similar to that, you know, these different vintages of wine and when you enter and how you enter and how you manage risk, I think is very important. You know, and a lot of people can say, well, you can't time the market. And we don't believe in timing the market at all. Okay. But there are times we believe where the Odds are just not in the favor of the investor. And, you know, you, you think about it. If someone said you have a 50% chance of success, you know, based upon, you know, your belief at that point in time, and someone said, oh, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. Okay. That 50% is a flip of a coin. So imagine saying, 
hey, I'll bet you 25% of your net worth on heads or tails. Would you do that? Most people would say no. So we think that there's just a, uh, there's a more thoughtful way to manage that point of entry risk. And the math works like this. The more downside protection you want, the less of the upside you're going to capture. However, you can determine how much downside you're willing to live with. And so we'll structure that, the, the hedge around that portfolio just to limit that point of entry risk. And we have found over time that that helps a lot of people kind of sleep better and know that they're on that glide path. And, you know, they don't want to slip and fall because they can't afford to. And then, you know, as we start you know, going down the other side of the mountain, it's really, you know, how do we manage that glide path going all the way down? The delicacies of financial planning. I love it. <laughs> exactly. Clark, thank you so much for taking time to sit with us today. As Jason said, I mean, and I second this, I mean, you definitely are one of the unofficial co-founders of Integrated. And we thank you again for the, for the trust and, and the time and all the information that you've shared with the viewers today. No, I think we did a great job. I would just like to say thank you for the terrific partnership. Uh, you guys have been great partners to our firm and uh, you've helped us execute on our business plan. And, you know, I remember, you know, one time I called Jeff Groves and he says, geez, man, I haven't heard from you in like a year and a half. Yeah. And I said, well, that's a good thing. It just <laughs> works. <laughs> and so you guys have been great partners. We appreciate all that you've done for us and you've created this platform that we can grow from. And uh, it just made our lives a lot easier. And you know, we can't ask for any more than that. So thank you. Yeah, well, you are you are very welcome. We thank you. We thank you just as much. With that, thank you, Clark Richard from Vineyard Global Advisors. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find other tools and resources, I encourage you to visit our website at integratedadvisorsnetwork.com or feel free to give me a call at 855-729-4222 for specific questions, or you can email me at lynda at integratedadvisorsnetwork.com. Please note that all conversations are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. This is Linda Picks, and I thank you for listening to Integrated Advisors Network podcast series, Journey to Independence.